Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Tim walks us through the question, what does it mean to be a Barnabas in a Paul world? As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. My name is Tim, and uh, thanks for coming. It's, uh, you blew in here today. So uh, We had an over-under on, uh, on attendance numbers, and I'm not sure where we're at on that. But I think there's some online, so if you're online, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. Um, by the way, uh, on just I, I feel the need to say this every time we have a day like this. You do not have to come if you feel unsafe. Uh, so if you ever are looking out your window and thinking, ah, you already know this, but it's important for me to say this. If you're ever thinking, like, don't, don't risk your health um, or your safety to make the drive. We tend to be open uh, always. We very rarely close over weather. I drive a Honda Civic, and so that's pretty easy for me. Um, it's a joke. <laughs> it's just me and uh, pickup trucks on the road this morning. But I figured if, uh, if Patrick Mahomes can play in, like, Weather like this, then is that a woof for Patrick Mahomes? We're like the Patrick Mahomes of churches, so uh, we <laughs> the show will go on, but uh, but never feel that, and, and especially if you're volunteering and you're thinking, oh no, but I'm volunteering, uh, please know, like it's okay, like it's okay if you're like don't don't hurt yourself to come in if you're volunteering, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, but I am glad you're with us. I'm I'm excited for uh, the stuff we get to look at this morning. If you have a Bible. We are going to, we're going to kind of be jumping all over the place uh, this morning, but we're going to start in Galatians 1. So if you're following along, Galatians 1, and then we'll be mostly in the book of Acts. Um, but Galatians 1, uh, we're going to pick up this morning where we left off last week. If you weren't with us last week, we looked at this moment in which Paul and Barnabas, tra- make, actually they make several trips to the city of Lystra. So they're, uh, Lystra's up in what was then Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. They're from down in this region, and they travel and make several trips back and forth where ultimately they pick up this young guy named Timothy. And uh, last week we really focused on Paul and Timothy's relationship. Timothy has a pretty uh, tough background, and Paul will essentially adopt him and treat him like a son. It's a really, uh, it's a really tender story. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, and the reason we looked at that story last week is because we are kind of in the middle of a series we're calling Undivided. And uh, what does it look like to have an undivided life? Many of us, uh, there's, there's like different hats we wear, and it can sometimes feel like we live these splintered or fractured lives. We've got oneself, uh, like one expectation set that we bring when we go home, and then another set that we have when we're at school or when we're at work, and then another with our neighbors, and another with extended family, and uh, and what we recognize is that sometimes in order to succeed in those areas, we have to put on different personas. And, um, and what we're really wrestling with as a church is what does it look like to be people of character and value, like deep values, uh, biblical, Jesus-centered values, even when those values don't necessarily look like, quote-unquote, success. Uh, sometimes um, success in a business field uh, would require us to compromise some of those values. Or success in a classroom, would, we would actually compromise those values. And so last week we began with a quote. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I think it's important that when we think about 
what does it mean to succeed, that we have a, a good and strong and robust definition of what success actually looks like. Uh, otherwise, we can get caught up in the success looks like popularity or success looks like more money. Or, um, but it's important to have a good definition of, of success. I really like the definition that was given by John Maxwell, leadership John Maxwell. Uh, it was in an interview I was listening to. He was asked, how do you define success? And he said, to me, success is when the people who know me the best, the closest, love and respect me the most. I think that's a good definition. Uh, when the people who truly know who you are uh, love and respect you the most. That's the, that's the ultimate win. That's the ultimate success, um, that we become those kinds of people who have a set of values, uh, uh, like character, no matter where we are, we do not compromise those. Even if uh, there's a shortcut presented to us, uh, we don't do that. And so last week we looked at uh, Paul and Barnabas heading to Lystra where they pick up this kid, Timothy, and uh, we talked about parenting and what does it look like to do this at home. Um, this morning I want to like, like zoom out just a little bit and think together about how do we do this amongst our friends? Uh, how do we become Jesus-like friends uh, that are consistent and loyal and stand with each other no matter what's going on? A um, couple statistics. Uh, in a 2021 survey done by the uh, Survey Center of American Life, uh, they, they discovered that 21% of men will say that they, um, they received emotional support from a friend in the last week. 21% of men compared to 41% of women saying they've received emotional support from a friend in the last week. Uh, and then the second set of numbers, 25% of men uh, have said recently, I don't know how they define recently, but they said recently they have said to a friend, I love you, versus 49% of, of women have said the words, I love you. Maybe that's just like a word thing. We just don't say that as men. However, I do think that the numbers are revealing a bit that uh, especially guys like men, uh, we like, how do we regain and recapture what it looks like to have deep friendships? Those, those moments where um, it all falls apart and we need somebody. Like, for many of us, we have people we hang out with, like acquaintances. We might even call them friends. We share some common interest. We exercise together. We go to the same gym together. We play golf together. We hunt together. We uh, cook together. Uh, there's some, like... We go to the same church together. There's some, something that brings us together. And yet, if you scratch beneath the surface, it's like you hang out with those friends, but you never talk about anything deep. It's always kind of just floats at the surface. We'll talk about football. We'll talk about food. Uh, whatever your common interest is, we'll talk about that. But we never go deeper. We've never cried together. We've never grieved together. We've never uh, turned toward one another in a moment of heartache and said, I... I can't walk this journey alone. Can you walk this journey with me? Uh, I think of it as the, if, if everything were to fall apart, who do you call? Those kinds of friends. Like if it, like two in the morning, it all falls apart and you know that this is going to inconvenience somebody, who do you call? Um, if you received a diagnosis, who's going to be the people that you call to drive you to chemotherapy or um, like who are those people? Who are the friends in your life? Uh, and and the numbers themselves, uh, what's really interesting is that those in the church and those outside of the church is basically the same numbers, which is a pretty glaring problem for us Christians, that we, um, we should be the ones who are known for our ability to have deep and lasting and meaningful and significant relationships, but statistically, it's not always the case. 
The flip side of that is this is a tremendous opportunity if we can get this one right. It's a tremendous opportunity for us as a church to embody what the gyms and bars and uh, country clubs haven't been able to figure out. Like we can actually, this is an opportunity for us to do it a little bit different. So what I want to I want to do in our time together in the few minutes we have, uh, the handful of us gathered, uh, I want to I want to look at one gentleman um, who I find exhibits qualities of friendship that are absolutely beautiful. He's a quiet figure in the scriptures, but he's found in some of the most pivotal moments of other people's stories. And he's the kind of guy who elevates them even while he himself doesn't, we don't really talk about this, this guy. Uh, it's been, been preaching now for like 15, 17 years or something. And I've never done a sermon focusing, this guy's been in a lot of messages, but never been the focus of any sermons. Uh, and, um, what does it mean to be this kind of friend? Uh, so again, last week we left off with the story of Paul and Barnabas picking up this kid, Timothy. And uh, we talk a lot about Paul, and we talk a lot, a lot about Timothy, but who's Barnabas? He's the guy I want to look at this morning. Who is this Barnabas? He's a quiet character in our story. He's the third character, but he kind of is not the one we ever focus on. It's always Paul, or it's always Timothy, or it's always somebody else. But who's Barnabas? Uh, Barnabas is this guy, when you read through the book of Acts... Uh, the, the story of the early church, the rise of the early church in the background of the Roman Empire. Uh, it's always, the beginning of Acts, it's always Barnabas and Paul. And then halfway through the book of Acts, by and large, the narrative flips from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is the guy who slowly, kind of quietly slides into the background while Paul can kind of take the center stage. Who is Barnabas? Who is this guy that just kind of quietly, humbly backs away? We know a lot about Paul. Uh, we talk a lot about Paul. Um, Paul, notice how Paul describes himself. So a little more on Paul, but notice how Paul describes himself to one of the churches he planted, a church in a region called Galatia, same region as the city of Lystra's in. Um, Paul will say this. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He's referring to that blinding light experience he had. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Stop that there. Um, if you're familiar with the Bible, this is Paul's explanation of who he is, and it would you... It's kind of an accurate description of Paul, right? When we read Paul, he's this guy. The language he uses is, is he's extremely zealous. He uses the word intense. When God called me, I immediately went. He's like, like fire wrapped in flesh. That's Paul. Like Paul is just this man of passion. He's a man of action. He's, he uh, does not really stop his entire life. Four missionary journeys, traveling the world, uh, jumping on boats, hiking mountains to tell people about Jesus. Paul is a man of absolute passion. Uh, shipwrecks and stonings and beatings. 
This is who Paul is. In fact, notice how Paul will describe his own labors. This is Paul's description of himself. This is to a church he planted in a city called Corinth. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he writes, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I love this. I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I love his like, ah, his fire wrapped in flesh. Uh, I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bands, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He's got like a cadence to it. It's like eight mile. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. It's quite the list. It's exhausting to hear what Paul, like just recapping. And it is accurate, isn't it? Like this is who Paul is. He's a man of intensity. He's a man of go, go, go. He's a man of action. Um, Paul's the guy where, uh, he's the guy in the office when like a project is given to Paul. Paul's the first to finish the project. He's the guy who doesn't go home until the project is done. Paul is like the kid in class who um, has, he's always done with his test first and he gets the best grade. He's that kid. Uh, Paul is like the guy uh, who um, you, like a group of friends, one, somebody says, we should do a cold plunge. Paul's already got his bathing suit on and jumping in the water. That's who Paul is. Paul is when uh, you say, you know, just bring something to pass. Paul comes with 10 charcuterie boards. This is the kind of, like, this is Paul. Paul's the guy at the office Christmas party who brings the iPad. Michael Scott, office, you know the, no, no, okay. He's, he's the early bird and the owl. He gets the worm and is wise. The office, no, okay. Now, is Paul telling the truth about himself? Yes, he is. Um, Paul does do all the things. Many of them are listed in uh, the book of Acts by Dr. Luke, who records the stories. He does do all these things. He really is, to use his words, zealous. He really is intense. He really is passionate. Did you know that Paul, when we meet Paul, he's, you you probably know this, he's not, if you're showing up on a snow day, you know this, uh, he's not Paul. When we first meet him, he goes by another name. Do you know his name? Saul. Now, we often will say that God changes Paul's, or Saul's name from Saul to Paul. It's actually not how the story goes. If you read the story carefully, Paul doesn't get his name changed by God. Paul changes his own name. Uh, the story itself is interesting. He uh, meets this Gentile leader, a guy by the name of Sergius Paulus, and he's like a Roman leader, and Paul converts him. And he decides at that point, I'm going to take this guy's name because I want to convert more people like Sergius Paulus. And so he goes from Shaul to Paulus. In English, it sounds very similar, like you swap a letter, but two totally different names. God doesn't change Paul's name. Paul changes Paul's name. Why? 
because I will do whatever it takes. I will go wherever it goes. I will brave whatever I need to brave. I will even change my name to reach more for Jesus. Paul's a man of action. Um, But this sermon isn't about Paul. (laughs) Sermon's about Barnabas. Who's that guy? Uh, He's always with Paul. If you read the stories, it's often in the story, by and large. He's in almost all the highlight reel. Um, But he's never in the spotlight. Who's Barnabas? Um, You can make a, a strong case that without Barnabas, there is no Paul. At least not the Paul we have. Without Barnabas... Uh, Paul may never have traveled to all of the, ne- may never have planted all the churches. Most of our New Testament, or much of our New Testament, is written by Paul. That you can make a case that uh, without Barnabas, Paul wouldn't. He may have never got beyond making tents. There's nothing wrong with making tents. It was he was good at it. It sounds like, but but we're glad that Paul went on to write our Bible. Uh, it's been instructive for us as Christians. Many of us have found Jesus through the writings of Paul. But without Barnabas, you could make the case, I'll try to make it for you, that there may not be a Paul um, without a Barnabas. So who's Barnabas? Uh, let's see if we can piece together from the, story, the, the stories we have of Barnabas. There's many that he's in, but let's see if we can piece together who is this guy, Barnabas? What makes him tick? Let's see if we can get into his psyche a little bit and try to figure out, uh, hey, what makes him tick? What, what kind of friend is Barnabas so that we can maybe think, okay, in our world, with our people, how do we become people like Barnabas? Um, I want to give you three short stories from the life of Barnabas that I find instructive for who this guy Barnabas is. Uh, story number one is found in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. This is the first time we meet Barnabas, only that's not his actual name. Unlike Paul, who renames himself, Barnabas is a nickname that's given to him by uh, the his peers. So unlike Saul, who's like, I'm going to change my name to Paul because I have this mission, Barnabas was given it. We see something in you, and we're going to call you Barnabas. And from this point on, he's almost always exclusively referred to as Barnabas. Uh, Here's the story. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is a pretty famous passage. We've, I've preached many sermons on this passage because the early church tries to embody, like, what does it look like to care for each other? Uh, How do we do this? How do we make sure no one has any needs? We often cut the story there. The story doesn't end there, though. Uh, The story continues. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, an island of Cyprus, beautiful island of Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It's the first thing we're told about Barnabas. Uh, His name is actually Joseph. That's what his parents call him. It's not his real name. Barnabas isn't his real name. Um, But from this point on, he'll only be referred to as Barnabas. His parents name him Joseph. But everyone around him sees this guy's life and says, oh, we know that guy. He's the son of encouragement. He's Barnabas. He's like Mr. Encouragement. We know all about Barnabas. You call him Joseph, but we call him Barnabas. Now, um, it's not weird to have a nickname. Anybody here have a nickname? 
You're not going to confess it. Yeah? You got a nickname? What's your nickname, Cricket? You don't got to tell me. You don't got to tell me. <laughs> okay. I don't want to embarrass you. All right. But it's not, it's not uncommon that we have nicknames. Um, that, that's pretty common. But very few people have a nickname that is their primary identity. Right? Every once in a while, you meet somebody or you hear of somebody that their nickname becomes their primary identity. And typically, it's because their nickname describes them better than their actual name. So for instance, it's not Dwayne. It's The Rock. Right? The Rock describes this man, not Dwayne. The Rock. Um, it's not Al. It's Weird Al. You meet Weird Al, and you're like, yeah, that guy's weird, and he's brilliant. It's Weird Al. It's, uh, it's not Joseph. It's Barnabas, Mr. Encouragement. We know that guy. He's Mr. Encouragement. Uh, that, that word encouragement, um, I, think it's, I think it's a key ingredient to friendship. Uh, wouldn't that be something you'd want to be known for? Like to be somebody who's like people look at you and say, ah, oh, I know that person. They're an encourager. Um, the word encourage, uh, it's, it means what it sounds like it means. It, it literally means encourage. It means to speak courage into someone's life. Um, my guess is we all have people. My, my hunch actually is if I were to say to you, think of somebody in your life who is Mr. or Mrs. Encouragement. You probably have a name or a face that leaps to your mind. It's probably that person in your life who has come alongside you in some way in all these critical moments of your life that has, like you look at your life as a series of dots or dominoes and you think, okay, these dots or dominoes add to the person, like you, you can draw a line between them to the person I am now. And there's probably somebody in your background who spoke encouragement along those hard moments. Uh, they stand out. Um, because we all need encouragement, uh, every single person. I love how John Maxwell, the leadership John Maxwell, he, uh, he says, how can you tell if somebody needs encouragement? If they're breathing. <laughs> we all need it. We need encouragement. Uh, every single one of us, no matter how good we look on the outside or how polished or like, impressive we, we try to appear, we all need somebody who comes alongside us and says, like, I see you. I see you, and I, I see what you're doing. Um, we all need it. Those of you who are words of affirmation people, you need it even more. Um, we need encouragement. I love uh, Chuck Swindoll. This may be the first time I've quoted Chuck Swindoll, but uh, Chuck Swindoll says this. I thought it was a good quote. He says, I'm absolutely convinced that there are thousands of people who are drying up on the vine simply because of the lack of encouragement. Lonely, forgotten missionaries, military service men and women far away from home, collegians and seminarians, the sick and the dying, the divorced and the grieving, those who serve faithfully behind the scenes with scarcely a glance or comment from anyone. I'm convinced, absolutely convinced that there are thousands of people who are drying up on the vine for lack of encouragement. That's true, isn't it? You ever have a moment where it's like, I just, um, you just needed some, you just needed some encouragement. And the simple text message like changed your whole day. Like somebody just take 15 seconds of their day and those words shared with you just changed the outlook of your entire day. A, a scribbled note uh, just changed. Some of you are card people and you've discovered like if I just, it's like 42 cents and 15, uh, maybe three minutes of your time uh, and you can change an entire day of somebody. Just a little bit of encouragement. 
Uh, the word encouragement uh, is, is actually in, is a Greek word. The Bible's Old New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word is paraklesis. Para means alongside, and klesis means to call. Um, to be an encourager is to come alongside of someone. Now, what's interesting about that word is that is the word that the scriptures use to describe the Holy Spirit. A variation of the exact same word. Uh, Jesus says in John 14, but the advocate, Pleracletus, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Get this. If you're taking notes. When we encourage others, we come about as close to doing the work of the Holy Spirit as anything else we do. According to Jesus, same word. Uh, and if we've been on the receiving end, we know this is true. Uh, I, I think Swindoll is absolutely correct. I think we have Christians, but people in general, but especially Christians who are drying up, we're dying on the vine for lack of encouragement. I think young people especially need this. Um, there's those crucial seasons of somebody's life. I think young people um, absolutely need this. Uh, I Quick story. When I was in the fourth grade, my parents signed me up for baseball. Um, and uh, Little League Baseball, I never had played before. I, wasn't, um, I, I didn't really know the game a ton. Um, but I had this coach and this coach... Uh, for like, I remember the first practice, he rallied us all up before we were going to run drills. And he said, you know, last year, this was T-ball days at that point. Last year, the, I coached the third graders and we didn't lose a game. It's a weird flex, <laughs> third grade T-ball. But I just remember the pressure that I felt like there's a, t- and the way he ran practice. I mean, this guy would be a great high school coach or college coach. But as a little kid, I just remember the pressure of this all. And uh, I'm a, this is surprising. I'm not very athletic. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I wasn't very athletic then. I'm, I'm still not super athletic. Uh, and I, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that uh, all year, all season, I didn't get a single hit. The entire season, not a single hit. I, I struck out every time. Every once in a while, I would get a walk. I remember the coach pulling me aside and saying, hey, Tim, this is a weird comment, by the way. This is a weird encouragement that was, I saw what he was doing. He said, Tim, you have a good eye. You should just not swing. <laughs> Get a walk. And, uh, and as a, even as a fourth grader, I knew it. Like, I knew what he was saying. And uh, that whole fourth grade, I thought it was terrible. Fifth grade comes around, and uh, my parents signed me up for uh, Little League again. I think I didn't want to play, to be honest with you. I hated it. I hated every moment of it. Um, but I think my parents knew that I couldn't go down. My last season couldn't have been as a, as a failure, or I would never have played again. Right? Like that, that was my last experience. So they signed me up, and my dad helped coach. And uh, I remember my dad pulling me aside that first game after we had done the practices. And, and I remember my dad saying to me, uh, he said, hey, Tim, you get all sorts of hits when we practice in the backyard, and I throw to you harder than this pitcher's throwing. You can do this. You can do And if you don't, that's okay, too. But I believe you can do this. Fifth grade, I uh, still wasn't the greatest athlete, but I hit the ball almost every time I went up to bat. The only difference was some encouragement. I think young people especially, like we get in our own heads. We start to think, maybe I'm not good at this. Maybe I'm not talented at this. And somebody coming alongside and saying, no, no, I've seen you do this. 
I think our marriages, uh, if like if just we could revitalize marriages just by speaking encouragement to each other, just things we take for granted over over the years, just saying, "Hey, I saw you do that, and that meant a lot." Um, I think uh, I've seen people at work when a new boss comes in, and the new boss is just a little bit more encouraging than the last boss, and I've seen people revitalize their energy for working again. They thought they didn't like the job anymore, but actually it wasn't the job they didn't like. It was, I showed up every day, and I did the work, and I just felt like it was never enough. It was never enough. People are dying on the vine, drying out on the vines for lack of encouragement, Swindoll says. Um, Joseph's given a nickname. It's the name he'll be known by. He's given the nickname Barnabas. You're going to be Mr. Encouragement. You're going to be the guy who sells your house on a beautiful island of Cyprus so that you can encourage the church. You can help this early church get launched. This is who Barnabas is. Okay, that's the first story. Uh, there's more stories. I'm going to give you another example, though. Story number two of this quiet encouragement. This is Acts chapter 9, story number 2. Um, earlier I said that Paul may not have been Paul had it not been for Barnabas. Uh, remember when we meet Paul, like Paul describes himself, I was zealous, I was intense, I persecuted Christians, he said, and when I felt called by God, immediately, immediately I stepped into the mission field and no one else helped me. That's what Paul says. Uh, I'll give you the quote again. That's a paraphrase. Uh, Galatians 1, he says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. That's true. Kind of. Kind of. And then you read the story, and you realize, okay, that's kind of true. But there was somebody that you didn't have to ask. You didn't have to consult this person. He just kind of stepped up in a moment when you really, really need it. Paul does have a vision of Jesus. It does flip his life around. He is intensely passionate. tells everybody about Jesus. And then there's a moment in the book of Acts where Paul goes back to the disciples. Passionate for Jesus. The last they saw this guy, he was trying to kill them. And we read this. When he came to Jerusalem, he, fought, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. You tried to kill us. But Barnabas, Barnabas, took him and brought him, Mr. Encouragement, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, Paul's human like you and I, and he kind of leaves that detail out, but it does kind of feel like a substantial detail Barnabas, uh, people trust Barnabas. They know Barnabas. They've seen his character. He's earned their trust. And when Paul, Saul at the time, Paul goes back, Barnabas is the guy that vouches for him. I know this guy. I've seen Saul. I know you're afraid of him, but I've seen him. And it's because Barnabas vouches for him, he sticks his own neck on the line, risks his own reputation. If Saul has actually not changed this is his reputation, but he puts his reputation on the line to say, I know this guy, Saul. Um, that's what it means to be a friend. Right? You're, the, you're with your, your people in moments where they don't, like you put your reputation and your name on the line because they need you in that moment. That's story number two. Story number three, last story. 
Um, perhaps you're asking the question I'd be asking right now, which is, why doesn't Paul name that when he writes to the Galatians? Why doesn't he give that detail of Barnabas? Well, Paul and Barnabas have a falling out. They actually get to a spot, and we don't know that they ever reconcile this, but there's a moment in which they disagree and part ways. Uh, and when Paul writes Galatians, it's on the back end of this disagreement. Uh, the story is found in Acts chapter 15, and uh, it's an argument. Acts 15, I'll, we'll read it together and then see what we can make of it. Uh, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. See the fight? You want to take, you can, this is classic Paul, by the way, right? Like, you want to take John Mark? He left us. He deserted us. He got scared. When, when the going got tough and he split, we can't take him again. He'll do it again. We can't trust him. Do you remember when he ran? We can't trust him. Not on this mission. It's too important. Passion, fire and flesh. That's Paul. And uh, this is classic Barnabas, is it not? Well, but we got to give him a second chance. Can't give up on him. You got to wonder if Barnabas reminds Saul of his own story. Saul, do you remember when you like, needed a second chance? How God didn't give up on you? How I didn't give up on you? So we got to take John Mark. We got to give him a second chance. We got to see what this kid's got. It's actually his cousin, uh, John Mark. We got to see, I believe in this guy. I vouch for this guy. And they disagree and they part ways. Now, the PS to that story uh, is that, of uh, story number three, is that John Mark will go on to be known in our Bibles as Mark. The gospel of Mark uh, is universally accepted that Mark is the oldest or the first gospel to be written. The gospels are the, the stories we have of Jesus. There are four of them. Mark writes the first one. If there was no Mark, many of the stories that have helped us love and know how much we're loved by Jesus we wouldn't have, at least not. God would do some other way, I'm confident, but God didn't choose to use another way. God chose to use Mark, this kid who was given a second chance by Barnabas. Had there been no Barnabas, there would be no Mark. Now, we talk a lot about Paul, and we talk a lot about Mark. We don't talk a lot about, about Barnabas, but without Barnabas, uh, Mark would probably give up. Paul would probably have never got a voice like a fourth grader who quits baseball without getting a hit. It's over. Um, we rarely talk about Barnabas. We talk a lot about Paul. We talk a lot about Mark. We talk a lot about Timothy. We don't talk about Barnabas. Um, I said earlier, in 15 years, I've never preached on Barnabas. I was going through my notes to see, if I ever like, did any deeper study on Barnabas, like what's going on in Barnabas? Um, I've never, in, in all the years, focused a, a sermon on Barnabas. He's in a lot of sermons, He's in a lot of Bible passages, but we've never focused on him. I turned uh, 41 a couple weeks ago. I know, 41. I started here when I was 29, by the way. Who at 29 knows anything? Um, but I was 29, and uh, 
anyway, I, I turned 41 a couple weeks ago, and uh, every birthday I try to take a, like some time, just reflect and think back on, on okay, what am I going after? Who, like, was the last year what I wanted the last year to be? Um, did I miss it? Did I, did I compromise in any way? And uh, 41, I was, I was actually reflecting with Paul uh, this week, and we were talking about, like, turning 40. And uh, you had asked me, Paul, you said, uh, is anything shifting in your 40s? Um, something that you're discovering now that uh, you didn't value or see before, but something that, like, when you were younger, you just didn't see, and now you're seeing it in your 40s. And I had this sermon in my mind as I was uh, in that conversation, and uh, the thought I kept coming back to is, we really do live in a Paul world. This is really a Paul world. We live in a world that values drive and hustle and, um, and intensity. In many ways, I look at my own values, and they line up with those values. Uh, we live in a Paul world. We celebrate the underdogs, um, except for tonight because it's the lions are projected to win. Yeah, let's go. Um, but we celebrate the underdogs. We celebrate those who rise up from the bottom and they change the world. Uh, we celebrate the people that just won't give up on their dreams or passions. They'll cut anyone who stands in the way of their vision, their passion. They'll cut them off and they'll chase the dream. It's very Paul. We live in a very Paul world. Now, again, we're grateful for Paul, really grateful for Paul. He's help so many of us know Jesus. But the older I get, uh, I feel more drawn to wanting to be like Barnabas. Um, the older I get, the, I just hear all these stories as a pastor f- from people, just these stories of uh, life change. And uh, in every single story, there's somebody who's part of that story who's kind of quietly in the background. Those quiet friends, the loyal friends, the, the ones who stand by you when no one else is standing by you, um, again and again, they, they hardly ever get the credit. Barnabas doesn't really get the credit. Uh, it's, we live in a Paul world. Paul gets the credit. But without the Barnabases, Barnabai, there would be no Pauls. <laughs> there would be no Pauls. And in a Paul world, I think we need more people like Barnabas. Um, one of my favorite authors, a guy named Donald Miller, uh, he writes a lot about this. He talks about, uh, he's given his life to studying story, and now he's working to try to figure out how to help businesses tell their stories. It's really good stuff. Um, but one of the things he's noticed as he studied story, really building off of Joseph Campbell's work on story, but one of the things he's noticed is that uh, every, sto- every good story has a hero, and every hero has some quest they're on. They've got to overcome some obstacles and hardships, yada, yada, yada. Um, but every hero and every great story he makes the argument that every hero has a guide. And then he, with businesses, he talks about how do you position yourself, not as the hero in a business, but as the guide, helping somebody else. Um, but every great story, every hero has a guide. So think uh, like Luke Skywalker has Yoda. Uh, Batman has Alfred. James Bond has M. Uh, Neo. Matrix. Morpheus. Uh, Harry Potter has Dumbledore, um, every great story. Rocky Balboa has Mickey, Tommy Boy, David Spade. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're never the star of the story, but without the guide, there would be no hero. We live in a Paul world, uh, and we need Pauls in our world who are going to advance the gospel with passion and intensity and fire. But there are seasons in our lives every one of us, where 
Paul's intensity and fire comes rushing in our life and it breaks stuff. It breaks things. Uh, Moments where he cheated on you. She lied to you. You discovered there was a text message thread that everyone else is on except for you. Um, You raise those kids and they turn their back on you. Those moments where your heart is breaking. It's in those moments where we need someone like a Barnabas. John Mark is scared. He's scared. And what he doesn't need in that moment is a sermon. There's a time for sermonizing, and then there's a time for a hug. He doesn't need a, a, like, I told you so speech, or here's what I would do speech. What John Mark needs in that moment is some quiet encouragement from somebody coming alongside him saying, I understand you're scared. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Uh, Those seasons where it falls apart, somebody who can help us just see ourselves again. It takes some time. takes loyalty. A couple questions to wrap up the message. A couple questions. Uh, First, who in your life needs encouragement? Who in your life right now needs encouragement? And again, don't overthink it. A simple text message can change someone's day. Uh, a, a card in the mail is magic in our modern era where we're go, go, go. Uh, who in your life needs encouragement? Uh, is there anybody in your life right now who needs you to risk your reputation to defend them? Um, they've, they're not bad, but they're misunderstood. So how do you defend them? Uh, who's vulnerable? Like Saul before the disciples, who's vulnerable, that um, you can help them in their vulnerability. And here's a question. Is there anybody in your life who needs a second chance? Maybe they did blow it. Maybe they did hurt you. Maybe they, is there anybody in your life who needs a second chance? A John Mark, a Saul. Um, maybe right now it's you. Maybe right now you just need some encouragement. Uh, I am becoming more and more aware that uh, there are some people that the statistics we start with, the loneliness statistics, we can give a, tons of statistics on loneliness. It continues to rise. Medication to treat loneliness can, and depression continues to rise. Post-COVID, even more so. Um, maybe right now you just need some encouragement. I, I've been thinking a lot. I talked to Jared about this this week, that um, that line in the scriptures about how God inhabits the praises of his people. Like, why do we gather? Um, for some of us, we need to hear the voice of God. And somehow when, I don't sing on key, um, but when I croak out a song, somehow God is in the midst of us as we do that to get that work together. Uh, somehow God is in the midst of us. If you right now are in the need of encouragement, especially if you've gotten to the spot where you don't see any reason to lift the, your head off the pillow, I promise you, you are more loved and more lovable than you would ever believe about yourself. You may not see it. You may not have had somebody that's come in in those moments and told you it. Um, but I promise you, uh, your, your pain can serve a purpose. And I, I hope that the church community can be the people who reclaim the gift of encouragement and the gift of friendship, that we can be the kinds of people who step into people's pain and see them and encourage them. Um, but I also do believe that somehow God through the power of the Holy Spirit, longs to to encourage you. You can keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. 
as Christians, uh, those of us who are disciples of Jesus trying to model this, just imagine if we actually took this one really seriously. It's such a simple message. So simple, it's easy to miss. Um, it's so simple. But imagine if, if we were known as the encouragers. Like we were the ones on the playground, in the cafeteria, in the office, who were just the ones who will always get the back of the person who just needs some encouragement. That was what we were known for. Not our theology, not how right we are, not like just we, we exhibited God's love through the, like the Holy Spirit. We came alongside people um, and spoke courage into them. Imagine if that was what we were known. Imagine, it, imagine what it would do if every Christian, even if everyone at South Harbor, if just for one week we said, that's what we're gonna focus on this week. We're just gonna focus on not being Paul. We have lots of time to do that. We should do that. Paul's great. But for this week, we're just gonna try to be like Barnabas for a week. Who can I come alongside? Who can I encourage? What would it do for our marriages? What would it do for our friendships? What would it do for our neighborhoods, our community? If every Christian for one week, I think um, what we would discover is the, the PR campaign against the church would start to flip. And more people would say, you know, we don't know if we believe what they believe, but man, oh man, do they love each other. Do you see him encourage? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, on this cold, windy, semi-dangerous uh, day, um, Lord, we recognize that whether it's a handful of us or a, a large room filled of us, Lord, we recognize that your spirit moves among us. As the theologian Karl Barth said, Lord, when we open the scriptures, you yourself leap off the page and walk amongst your church. And so, Jesus, we pray that um, we, we spoke words about you, but, uh, Lord, we pray that the word would become flesh and living and active. Uh, Jesus, you would not just be an idea we talk about, but you would be a person who we love and who we know loves us. Uh, Lord, for anyone in this space this morning who is um, feeling run down, beaten down, hurt, uh, Lord, I pray that you would send us Barnabases. Uh, and Lord, for those of us who are trying to advance your kingdom in West Michigan as it is in heaven, uh, would, we, um, would, would you help us to do the courageous and humble posture of encouragement? Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. And everybody said, For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. On Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.